RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. So yesterday on Peter Williams' show, you might have heard him mention uh, a posting on the gets.gov.nz website, and it's titled Insights to Build an Empirical Picture of the Disinformation Landscape. Now, I saw this page, a link to this page, and I went to it over the weekend from the Free Speech Union Facebook page, and they are engaging in this big time, and I thought it would be a good idea to get Jonathan Ayling from the Free Speech Union on the program this morning to sort of delve into this and see what plan they have, and Jonathan joins us now. Jonathan, thanks for coming on this morning. Hi, Paul. Okay, so when I saw this, my first reaction was, and it took me about three seconds, I thought this is a way to fund the disinformation project in a kind of legitimate, pseudo-transparent way by putting it on the GETS site. Is my intuition kind of correct, do you think? Well, it certainly looks like it may be that way. And uh, this wouldn't be the first time that the disinformation project is funded through a DPMC tender. So uh, it it has precedent where they received a a contract in 2021 when they were first set up. And uh, it may seem that uh, we aren't the only ones who've been asking questions about their funding structure and that uh, this is a way to address that. And even if that isn't the case, uh, we as the Free Speech Union want to make sure that whoever does get this contract has free speech at the heart of it as uh, a core response to disinformation project. We would never suggest that disinformation isn't a problem. Uh, And and that's not a a new problem either. We call it disinformation now. In the past, it's uh, had many other names, but effectively it's just lies. It's untruths, it's errors. They emerge in society for many reasons, sometimes malicious, sometimes benign, but the the implications can always be quite severe. So we want to see free speech expose this and i think it has a part to play we're all big boys and girls i assume that and okay people have been lying in all sorts of forms for well all of history this is nothing new disinformation is nothing new so is there any necessity for this at all i mean is there any need for this well, I would say that uh, every age and every stage needs to counter error in its midst. Uh, when the telegram was uh, telegram was first developed, the transatlantic telegram from the United Kingdom to the US, uh, there was great elite hysteria about it. They said it's too fast for the truth, and that was their claim, saying that uh, that uh, um, lies and rumours would spread around uh, the English speaking world far too quickly for truth to be able to quick up. And it it's very comparable. In my my mind to a lot of the narrative that we see about technology nowadays and the digital stage. I, I met with a uh, senior advisor from one of the ministries that is looking at disinformation and 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 the role of censorship. And uh, they recently claimed that uh, all the claims that we make about free speech are antiquated. They may be true from the past, but we live in a completely different time now. That because of the digital age, uh, social media and the internet enables uh, ideas and opinions and false beliefs to spread too quickly. I just don't think that's true. I think the same principles of a free society that we've developed over millennia that have applied in the past still apply today. And giving people the right to counter false views with correct views is very important. So it's a balance there, Paul, I would say. Uh, You know, there are questions to be asked as to whether the government should be involved in this. I think generally most people would accept that if uh, there is, for whatever reason, 
Clinton era or lies that are really holding currency in a population, that there should be efforts to counter that. Should they be coming from the government? I think there are there are questions to be raised about that. That's not something the Free Speech Union takes a position on. But if there is going to be a, a contract of this kind, we will say, well, free speech should be at the heart of it. Yeah, but I'd still say, where is the driver? What is the need? I'm trying to think of what catastrophic disinformation is doing the rounds at the moment that have got into the heads of Kiwis. You know, the country would fall to pieces and people would be at each other in the streets. Give me an example. I, 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 I think there are three that come to mind very quickly. Uh, the debates around climate change, the debates, debates around gender, and the ra- debates around race. I think those are three areas where on both sides, the other side is being bullied, is being demonized, is being said that they're all wrong. And on both sides, this is happening. And both sides are saying the other is spreading disinformation. Um, So one side claims that a simplistic view of the treaty is disinformation. The other side claims that a perspective of the treaty, this is where uh, work on disinformation needs to clarify exactly what are facts and what are opinions. But There is a point where what one person's opinion is, is another person's fact. Again, free speech and debate needs to be at the heart of that, but that will come into conflict. And what we're seeing in New Zealand is more and more a division over what is opinion and what is fact. So there are a lot of people that would say that uh, climate change and human activity as the root of climate change is not something that is very debatable. They would claim that it is scientific fact as the earth circling the sun as the fact that we are a globe and not flat flat earth, that it is science, it is debate, it is the scientific method that has proven this. I'm not here to substantiate, agree or disagree with them. That's their claim though. And so then they would say that if you are disagreeing with that, that is disinformation. But on the other side, people would say that it is scientific fact that there are two genders, that science says that there is uh, the larger gametes, the smaller gametes, they create male, they create female, there are two sexes and ideology and identification doesn't change that. Again, I'm not here to agree or disagree with them. I'm here saying science is used to justify that. And so it's not quite as simple. I wish it were. And and it's a whole cultural question as to how we've ended up in this place where we have um, very divergent views of reality and views of fact. Uh, It's not healthy for us. And it's, it's not going well, I don't think, for what it means for our society to live together. But for the time being, I think free speech is a partial solution to it, where we can't agree on what facts are and what opinions are. What we need to be able to do is let the two go head to head then. Yeah, no one's disagreeing with free speech. Don't get me wrong there. I'm just wondering if there's a need for this, because people are suspicious. There's been a lot of disinformation from officialdom, clearly. You know, we can call it out. So people don't trust an authority putting something like this in place. Let me just read this. The request for trustworthy and transparent insights reporting will complement a wider program of work to strengthen our national capacity to identify and address disinformation. This reflects a whole of society approach to build understanding and resilience. There's that word again against the harms of disinformation, not pointed out here, and recognises the need to maintain an open interest and uphold the right of the freedom to expression. You'll have no problem with that. i got no problem with that. These reports will be made publicly available to help all New Zealanders to better understand the challenges of disinformation in Aotearoa. When we look at the history of the disinformation project, how can anyone take any of this seriously? 
It, it's, it's a fair question. Unfortunately, somehow they do have some currency in mainstream media and uh, within the academic circuit. But I also know that there are many academics and I think more and more journalists who are raising questions about them as well. And if we're talking about the disinformation project specifically, I would say uh, without much reservation that I, I just do not accept that it is appropriate for $450,000 of taxpayer money to be delivered to them, given the ideological bent, given their lack of intellectual rigor within the methodologies that they've presented. If they are capable of doing more, fine, let them put their best up and we'll see if they get the bid. But they need to do a lot better than what they've done so far. I I think uh, we can accept that trust in democratic institutions is important for our society if we are going to continue with the traditions that we have so far. I hope that's something that you and I agree on, that trust in the systems that govern uh, govern us is important because it leads to legitimacy. If there is no legitimacy for the institutions that govern us, then we are in a real crisis for what it means for us as a nation, for what it means for us to live together. And so we believe at the Free Speech Union that Free speech actually enables accountability. It enables transparency. It enables people to ask pointed questions. It puts the onus on officials and politicians to really have to stump up with those answers. And that is what then breeds confidence within the general population that these are individuals that are worthy of trusting us. And that's why the demise that we've seen in free speech, largely over the past 10 years specifically, more specifically probably over the past three to five, is really troubling. Because I think a lot of everyday Kiwis legitimately look at it and go, I'm not allowed to ask these questions anymore. I'm not allowed to hold my local MP or there are no to account or there are no journalists that are holding these MPs to account. So what it does is it breeds conspiracy. It breeds real concern as to what the truth is. And I think the cause of that is legitimate. Where that leads, though, is very problematic. And so that's why I I think the two basic points we're making is that, sure, someone looking into this is not a bad idea. Whether it's the government, there's a legitimate debate to be had there. But that's why, Paul, our proposal is to base this at a university with Dr. Bryce Edwards from the Democracy Project leading the charge on this. We've got a consortium of academics. And I think the free speech union has has really shown its value and shown the role it has to play in society. We first became aware of this uh, this bid on Wednesday last week. By the end of Thursday, we had a, a consortium of some very prominent Kiwi academics, experts in their field, who would come together and, and, and put the very best of science and social science together to assess where people are going wrong, what is causing that, and how we can have more constructive dialogues that leads to truth. And I think that's an old-fashioned term in a way, truth. Who who believes in truth anymore? Who believes that there is just one way of viewing things? Well, I think a lot of uh, the the conflict, a lot of the um, division that we have emerging in our society is emerging because we no longer accept that there is an objective reality that surrounds us. Now, I'm not saying I have the truth, and I certainly don't think that my opponents have the truth either. But together, using the tried and true ways of of centuries and millennia, we can move towards something that approximates the truth more. What we have is a problem, though, around the fact that many people in New Zealand now think that there is no such thing as truth. There is just my perspective and my view, which means free speech actually has nothing to contribute anymore because they have nothing to learn. And that's a very arrogant position to hold. It's a very dangerous position to hold as well. So where uh, individuals are, are putting forward certain perspectives that 
you know, Kate Hanna and, and uh, their view, uh, the disinformation project's view on transgenderism. Uh, they said hold, genocide, Jonathan. They played uh, the genocide card. You should have read my commentary on that, Paul. I was educated. Uh, I grew up in Mozambique. I was educated in Kenya. I went to school with survivors of the Rwandan genocide. And in the commentary that we released the day after that report was put out, I said it is horrifically inappropriate for two words in particular to be used in that report. Genocide. It, it, uh, you can claim that there are problems at the moment uh, with regards to the way mainstream New Zealand views transgenderism. If you want to make that argument, go ahead. But to use the word genocide is horrifically inappropriate because it is based on such ideological views that has no empirical reality. There no is no truth. No truth. No truth. That's right. I, and if you can use that word, I can too. It is not based on truth. And the other word is Nazism. To, to compare those who disagree with uh, gender perspectives, and, and there are arguments for this, there are arguments against this. I'm not here to um, arbitrate either of those. I'm just saying to comp consider anyone who disagrees with a gender perspective uh, a Nazi is very... Uh, very operating in very bad faith and ultimately very harmful to your own cause. And the problem is, Paul, because there are actual Nazis in this world. There are actual people that want to eradicate certain populations, including transgender people. And the Free Speech Union would never want to give any cover whatsoever to those who want to use violent means to annihilate a population. But what Kate Hanna and the Disinformation Project do is give faux legitimacy to the very, very few, very few actual Nazis in the Western world who do want to employ those means by comparing those individuals with everyone who has a question or who has a disagreement with Kate Hanna's view. And so this is why the Disinformation Project uh, are not appropriate parties to be considered for this tender. Our motivation, as we looked at it, was to put a credible bid in to oppose them and... So it's, a, it's, a, it's twofold. We certainly don't want to see this contract going to the disinformation project, but I believe Bryce Edwards and, and the cons uh, consortium of academics that we've built around him to bid for this tender will do a very good job at looking at what the driving forces are of lies in our society. And hopefully we can agree that uh, exploring truth and developing it in our society will be good for us all. Let's say you win it. You know, this group of people gets the contract, will you be doing what, or will they be doing what the disinformation project does and endlessly wades through the scum of the internet? Is that the job? Uh, I think that will be part of the job for anyone. And I, and I hope both you and your listeners can accept that there are some very vile portions of the internet. But is there any problem with acknowledging that it exists today and hopefully we can work against it? Look, I'm not against it. You know, it's good to keep across information if you can trust the parties. What I don't think is that contestable at this stage is we exist in a society that is increasingly divided, that has fundamental contradictions in the way we view the... Because of the media. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I would no, say... No, that's, it's that's, the media. That's a gross oversimplification. Well, I here's say. an example. The media has, Friday, a, has a part to play, but... Here's an example. On Friday, I had a woman who owned an early childhood education centre in Bombay, Auckland. She was interviewed by News Hub post the budget. And if you remember, there were subsidies announced for two-year-olds in ECE care. They're going for the female vote. She was asked to be interviewed by News Hub. They came out. They're all very nice. She said there was a couple of good things in that budget, but she was really dirty on the staffing levels and the funding levels that weren't reported as part of the detail. And she made that very clear to them. They didn't include any of that. They made it look like 
her on TV endorsing sure. the budget. Sure, but Paul, you and I both How know. can anyone get the message, but the Paul, truth? 41% of Kiwis trust mainstream media. They 41%. still watch it, Jonathan. They still watch it. Yeah, but if they're watching it, and they, I just, what I'm countering here, it's a very simple They don't know what they're seeing. It is the media's fault. What about education? Don't we think that the academy has a role to play? Well, I we would can, say. We, we can go there, but the biggest you've disseminator gone, gone of disinformation is the mainstream media. Well, but, I think but that's accurate. But here's the thing. I, I think I think that's a very superficial and um, single-minded view. And you operate in the media, so I'm not surprised you come from that perspective. But I think scratch below the surface a little bit. And you go, why is the media perpetrating these opinions that no longer seem consistent with the reality of so many Kiwis? And I would say it's because far a far higher portion of media, of journalists, if we can call them that nowadays, no, had gone can't. through university. Did you go to university, Paul? No, I didn't. Exactly. You and a host of somewhat older, no offense, uh, journalists in this country were trained on the job. And, and frankly, in my opinion, you do a far better job of it. Whereas nowadays, and, and certainly not just now, for the past uh, 15 or 20 years, a much more significant portion of journalists have gone through university, where they have been taught what to think, not how to think. And so we have seen this as a production line of certain ideologies that now, yes, takes form in media. But Paul, I can't help but think certain objections to uh, the narratives that are often held here come because of these very simplistic views. That, that need to be more nuanced. And nuance doesn't necessarily have to be uh, everyone's right and no one's wrong. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying simply blaming the media in one fell swoop actually doesn't do credit I'm to aware, I'm aware of the complex issues. I'm aware of the university history because I've worked with journalists for 40 years in newsrooms all that time. And I've seen the evolution that's taken place in that time from the old school, you know, on the job, you know, the old, the old way it was done. I've seen that. But here they are on their publications telling us that they're fair and balanced, that they live for fair and balanced reporting. The journalistic ethics are so important to them. What, are they fooling themselves? I, I think they've drunk their own Kool-Aid. I don't think that, you know, this, and, and this this may not sit well with some of your listeners, but this this idea that there is an elite cabal that's pulling the strings of the world to me just doesn't seem consistent. I worked at the heart of the Beehive for too long to think that politicians are capable of orchestrating a global conspiracy. I never said that. No, no, no. Certainly you. No, no, no. I, I just say as I travel around, I hear other people saying that. And I, I counter that because most politicians can't plan past lunchtime, let alone a global conspiracy. But but what I what I think is at the heart of that is a, a view that there is one cause to the many issues that we're facing here. And unfortunately, the 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 issues we're facing are complex. Uh, and, and and I don't have the answer to all of them. Hopefully a tool we can use, though, is to respect the other side enough to listen to them for a while, at least. Okay, and tell I, it. Yep, tell us who's involved in your bid. You mentioned Bryce Edwards. There's some other names. Let's go through them and you tell us what they bring to that table. Well, uh, I'm really proud, as I was saying earlier, within 36 hours of saying, hey, let's do something about this. We had some fantastic interest. Uh, this is an evolving consortium. As I said, we haven't even been at this for a week. So uh, the names aren't final at this stage. But Dr. Bryce Edwards from Victoria University is uh, helping lead this project and lending the institutional umbrella of the Democracy Project. If uh, your listeners aren't aware of the Democracy Project or the daily roundup that Bryce Edwards provides of the media, he does 
does a fantastic job. There's a very helpful resource so you can subscribe at the Democracy Project. Uh, and we also have uh, Dr. Uh, David Brommel, formerly of uh, Canterbury University, who has been a policy practitioner for many years uh, within the Free Speech Union. We have uh, some staff that are academically very qualified who are lending support. Um, Dr. David Rosado uh, has a background in computational social sciences. So if we're looking at algorithms and site, can really get to the heart of that. Former judge, Dr. David Harvey, his expertise is in legal history. He looked at the um, uh, implications of the, the printing press and saw the impacts that had on law and is trying to see how that relates to the digital age today, an expert in this field. Uh, we, we have um, others, uh, Dr. Michael Johnston, who is a statistician and expert in education. So we're trying to bring these different uh, needed expertise together. Dr. Elizabeth Rasa, who uh, some of your listeners may know from uh, one of the authors of the Listener 7. We've had her on. Yes, very good. And uh, and and her background is in uh, in education. And so I think uh, education only works if you're training people how to ask questions, how to be inquisitive. And I think that's very important if we are to build resilience to false narratives. We, we have a number of other names that are, we're also currently uh, working with. And we're also uh, bringing on a, uh, a contractor to draft a bid for us who's professional full-time workers to make sure they succeed in getting these government tenders. So the supporters of the Free Speech Union have really come alongside and said this is something that they are keen on supporting. And we will be going toe-to-toe with whoever it is that comes up against this tender bid. We assume it will be the Disinformation Project. Well, it sounds to me, uh, I've heard some of those names, it sounds to me like you're ranging up some pretty damn good talent there and very competitive for this. What do you think your hopes are? Well, um, I would say if, if we were on an even playing field, I would like to see anyone putting together a, a, a better list than what we've got going here. We, we really have some, some cream of the crop uh, academics engaging in this. Uh, my suspicion is... Uh, that there will be a whole list of criteria and other considerations that get taken into account. Look, to be honest, Paul, I don't mind saying I'm not sure. Um, I, I'm, this this will be a very telling exercise, and thankfully it won't be very long. The uh, turnaround for this is, is only three weeks, from the middle of last week through to the, the um, day before. That's a bit quick for something like this. It is, it? it is, and that leads to my suspicion as to what the intents were in the first place. I do wonder if some other bidding parties might have been given a little bit of uh, foreknowledge that this this was coming along its way. Nonetheless, we've uh, we've put our running shoes on, and we're going to get done by then. And we will have a very good tender in in, uh, in pursuit of this. The uh, I think the money involves about four hundred and fifty k. If we were to do the math, is that about how much the disinformation project used to cost? I don't know. I haven't come across anyone who knows. I referenced earlier uh, former judge Dr. David Harvey. He writes at the Halfling's View on Substack, and he is, in my view, probably now the most informed Kiwi on the Disinformation Project. Uh, As as your listeners will know, the Disinformation Project has operated with considerable obscurity and lack of transparency uh, since they came on the field in 2021, and uh, we haven't really been able to track down exactly what their structure is or who their backers are. Uh, so it's possible that this is comparable to the contract that they had in the past. But at the moment, I think what's more telling is the fact that none of us know. Yeah, we've had people who've been on the inside of some of their meetings and seminars. So we've heard firsthand what it's been like, and they described them as bizarre. So this is who we're talking about. So I hope you get somewhere. 
the work of the free speech union rests on the fact that the alternative is not pretty. And certainly I know um, from where I grew up, uh, many countries in the world do not have the democratic liberal freedoms that we take for granted. And, uh, and, and in reality, it, you know, it, it's not polite to say, but most of humanity has spent, uh, been spent warring in a very tribal factions and killing the neighbor that you disagreed with. Uh, what has been remarkable and unique about the West over the past 400 years or so is that somehow we've been able to transcend that. And there's a number of features at play there, but certainly at the root of it is the belief that we do not kill people for saying things or believing things that we disagree with. And we don't call genocide. Well, that's uh, if we're talking about fighting words, that seems to be one to me. You know, I don't believe that certain words should be legally prohibited. But if any were uh, a flippant use of the word genocide, if, if any word is used to justify violent force, the fact that some other party is eradicating the population. Well, look what have... happened at Albert Park. An 80-year-old in a wheelchair got punched in the head because those people there, some of them, thought that they were under that much threat. Well, the, the stakes have been set at such a high level that it does justify, in their minds, violent response. And so that's where I think uh, we need to ask the adults in the in the room to stand up, some clearer heads to prevail. And I am hopeful. I, I, I realise, and I come across um, naysayers through, you know, all day, every day. Uh, perhaps I'm too young and too naive to recognise the real situation we're in. But I'm just too young to give up hope that this is the new reality of the society that we live in. New Zealand in the past was admired for the way we live together despite our differences and i do believe that given our heritage and the foundation that we were privileged to build on i think we can return to a far more civil discussion but the way we will get there is not by demonizing the other side and that goes for both sides i think kate hannah has employed incredible demonizing tactics of those that she disagrees with but there are many parties on the other side that do the same and i don't think it's helpful this is a government tender and uh, or request for proposal but who can trust the government? Without a doubt, Paul, there is um, uh, demonstrable evidence that government presented information that was incorrect. They did it knowingly. And, and the, the only PhD at the Disinformation Project, uh, Sanjana Hotua, is, uh, has actually claimed that governments cannot share disinformation. And for this reason, the Free Speech Union has said, nah, we're not up to seeing you guys grab this one. If your supporters want to help us with this, we are continuing to uh, look for academics that are wanting to join uh, their names to this. It would have to be specific within the expertise of the bid. And, uh, you know, the Free Speech Union, I, I, I sat down with the team and I said, I'm not sitting on my hands while we're doing this. We're going to reallocate funding. Uh, you know, Paul, we've got two other major projects on for the this week alone, we've got a major release coming out on Friday of academic freedom. We've got a lot on the table right now. And I said, we're not letting this one pass by. So thankfully, we've had supporters of the Free Speech Union step up and yeah. say, no, nah, yeah, we'll well, what's the reaction the to that? I mean, it got our attention. And by the way, I endorse what you're doing. And I hope people come in and support you. Someone has to to balance it out, push it back, whatever you I mean, want to say. So yeah. don't get me wrong there. Okay. I'm not having a go at you. No, no, this, no, whole no, thing, no. this whole thing heats me well, up. This, you know, it gets my blood pressure going. This is what constructive dialogue looks like. This is what pushing back and in, in, in hopefully a helpful way looks like and certainly not having to go at me at all. Uh, look, I, I, I would say that uh, I'm, I'm not a PhD. I'm not an academic. Uh, Bryce Edwards has called me a public intellectual and for that I thank him, but it might be a stretching the term. Well, I must be one then. <laughs> <laughs> 
But but what I would say is I have the capacity to go, well, let's do something then. And my team laughed when I said we're doing something because uh, it's not like we don't have enough on. But there was no way we were going to sit by and say, I wish someone had done something. And so uh, the primary response that we've received from our supporters is, thank goodness someone is doing something. And uh, it's just not going to give them a free pass. Are there other parties that might have been able to do it better? Even if there were, they should have done something then. But we will do something. So what can our people, our listeners, and whoever, you know, accesses, downloads, listens to this, what can they do to help you? Well, uh, we, we're building a national movement that is nonpartisan and moderate. We do not take stands on substance issues. And for some people, that's infuriating. But we don't want to see free speech turned into a political football that's dominated by one side. So we're nonpartisan and moderate, and we ask for individuals to come on board. You can see more of our work at www.fsu.nz. Uh, that's where you can uh, follow what we've done in the past. Uh, our Facebook and social media, our Twitter is quite uh, quite active. And ultimately, uh, the only way we can do this is because of the generous sponsor and support that we've received from our donors. Okay, and I was just thinking about Bryce Edwards. I think I've observed him being slowly red-pilled over <laughs> the last two or three years. I think it's fair to say. Could be wrong, but uh, but that gives me an indication of possibly the building urgency. If it's, if it's really getting to him, there must be something going on. Well, certainly the treatment of Bryce Edwards when he uh, reported on the protests of the parliament and and went and deigned to actually talk to the individuals that were there. Or uh, several weeks ago, he wrote an article about the disinformation project and the immense yeah, pressure that he has come under for those from from his own side. To you know, he identifies as a critical perspective, approx- uh, approximating Marxist. Uh, you would disagree with many, many things that he believes, but he's willing to hear from the other side. And the fact that he's been considered a far-right activist is just laughable, but I think it shows the tenor of the conversation that we're left with right now. I used to be a lefty, Jonathan. I used to be a lefty. Seriously, I was a lefty for most of my adult life. Only recently have I, I don't even think I'm right. And that's the other thing, you're accused of being far-right if you have anything but a left view. I'm sort of over that. It's another story. Okay, thanks for coming on and letting us know about this. It's a tight time frame. You've got to do a lot of work very quickly. What if you miss out on that and they get it? Then what do we think? At that point, we will be uh, following very closely with everything that they put out uh, to make sure that it is entirely consistent with the criteria of what that RFP is requiring. And when it's not, because I don't think they're up to it, then there will be hell to pay. And this is will be in place, won't it, before the election? Am I right? That that is correct, and 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 uh, both uh, national party and the act party are interested in this issue and are engaging in parliament to raise concerns. Now they they disagree somewhat as to whether the government is the appropriate actor to be doing this at all, or whether there just needs to be more transparency. Well, that's a good, that, that is a good question. That is a legitimate debate, uh, and, and and I would encourage your listeners, uh, if you want to hear that debate, we had that debate last Friday. Uh, Dr. Bryce Edwards and j- former judge uh, Dr. David Harvey and I sat down. We did a Facebook Live on our Facebook, and we discussed this contract, and we discussed uh, Dr. Bryce Edwards is is – you know, he holds the position that the government should have an interest in this. And I would say if the government is responsible for our national security and there is reason, there is legitimate, credible reason to think that disinformation is destabilizing national security, as in it is going to cause a violent rebellion or an attempted assassination, uh, then the government should be involved. Dr. Uh, David Harvey thinks that the government shouldn't be involved. 
that is an interesting conversation. I think the two of them had it out well. I'll let your listeners decide who won that. Okay, just one more thing on the university thing. If you're successful and your um, group is made up or the group that ends up being part of this or winning this um, request for um, proposal, whatever they call it, should this be something that is away from university, any interference? Because that could compromise some of those careers, and we know that can be a big problem. Well, it, again, I would encourage your listeners to look out for our academic freedom report that's going to be released on Friday. It absolutely shows that many, many academics are fearing for their exactly. livelihoods at the moment. Uh, that that being said, uh, we would rather see universities do a better job uh, and not threaten their employers rather than take away the critical roles of the university because they're behaving badly. So at the moment, we're orientated towards reforming that rather than abolishing that. Uh, I think th- the university is the appropriate party if research like this is going to be done. So again, referring to whether it's appropriate or not for the government to fund this, if it is going ahead, I think it should be done at universities where because of academic freedom and the role that plays even within law, uh, there there should be at least that arm's distance between the government and universities. So where you're talking, Paul, about building trust and accountability and transparency, placing it at a university rather than just a contracting unit that's working with DPMC uh, actually, I think, does provide that robustness that helps us be more confident and, and, and trust that if they came across something that the government doesn't like, they would still report it rather than have it pushed under the table somewhere. 450000 would buy quite a few hip replacements. Or it would pay for a few Tesla uh, subsidies. Uh, yep, yep. Yeah. This is the, this is the conversation, Paul. Uh, I think there are legitimate perspectives on both sides. That being said, national security matters. Investment in our defence force matters. Uh, and if we don't understand the state of play on the ground, we may have a robust international security policy. And if we get taken out from the inside, what's it worth? So this is where there's arguments on both sides, and yep. the free speech union isn't isn't in charge of that. But uh, we are in charge of consistently insisting that free speech needs to be at the heart of this. We're going to be fascinated to see how you do in this, and we won't have to wait long. Jonathan Ayling, so you're the head of the Free Speech Union? I need to get that right. I'm what the chief executive. Chief executive. It doesn't mean much, but... CEO. That's right. <laughs> okay, thanks for coming on and explaining that. Always good to talk with you. Thanks for the, you know, the robust uh, chat, and uh, we'll catch up with you again uh, when we get closer to this, hopefully. Very good. Thanks, Paul. RCR with Paul Brennan. Reality Check Radio.